0: Hallelujah! Will you remain stand with me and open your Bibles to the book of Philippians. This morning's scripture reading will be Philippians 4, verses 8 and 9. As Pastor Bruce continues his series here in Philippians. Again, we're reading Philippians chapter 4, verses 8 and 9. Finally, brothers, whatever is true... our father implore us this morning through your word through the truth of your scripture and the teaching of pastor bruce lord that our minds can concentrate lord on the things that lord you have deemed holy and worthy of thought god allow that to impact our lives so that we treat each other so that we respond to each other in love god through the example that you've set Lord, let our thinking impact our living. In Christ's name, amen. Well, if you're awake this morning, hopefully
1: that means you're thinking this morning. I won't ask if that's true of you or not. Some of you maybe just woke up and so you're not quite thinking yet. That's okay. Hang on. Stay with me this morning. Because did you know that the average person has its estimated about... 10,000 separate thoughts each day that works out to be about 3.5 million thoughts a year or actually over that in fact already most of you what that means is if you got up at a reasonable time this morning you've already have had over 2,000 thoughts since you got out of bed now if you got out of bed at 10 a.m like some probably maybe did then your thoughts are a little less And you will have probably another 8,000 thoughts throughout the day before you go to bed tonight. And then you'll start all over again tomorrow. In fact, some neuroscientists say that the number of thoughts that a person has each day is actually closer to around 70,000. Which means you will produce over 25 million thoughts in one year. And so whether it's 10,000 or whether it's 70,000, that's a lot of thoughts going through one's mind in a day. And while much of the whole thought process, it, it remains somewhat a mystery, one thing is very clear, one thing is very evident, what you think matters. What you think matters, and it matters more than you think. And here's why. Notice this in your notes coming up on the screen. What we think we often do. What we ponder, we eventually practice. What we think today, we will eventually become tomorrow. Therefore, godly thinking determines godly living. And so what we think, it really does matter. And it matters more than we think. As one commentator writes, Paul knows that the thoughts that... Occupy our minds and the images that capture our imagination, shape our characters, and find expression in our behavior. Jonathan Edwards said it like this. The ideas and images in people's minds are the invisible powers that constantly govern them or rule over them. This is why King Solomon said in Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23, Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. Jesus confirmed that the heart's secret thoughts are the fountain from which our outward actions flow when he said in Mark chapter 7 verses 20 and 23, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and they defile a person. Now, it would be difficult to exaggerate the importance then of what goes on in our minds. The significance of your mind is beyond calculation. Because according to Jesus Christ, the mind, it stands at the very center of a godly life or a ungodly life. In fact, remember how the Apostle Paul, even here in the book of Philippians, do you remember how he described the ungodly in chapter 3? He writes in verse 19 of that chapter, of the ungodly, he's, he's given this description that their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and their glory in their shame, with minds set on earthly things. By contrast, Paul instructs, us as Christ followers here today, in Colossians chapter 3, verses 2 and 4, he says, set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And so when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with Him in glory. Paul, later on, will exhort us in Romans twelve two. He says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your what? Of your mind. And notice the connection, even here in Philippians chapter 4, the connection between godly thinking and godly living, or not rather here in in Philippians, but in Psalm chapter 1, 1 and 2, where he says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of the sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditate day and night at the same time understand that you are not always what you think you are my son jack used to think he could play as good as michael jordan i used to tell him jack you're not even close to being that good just because you think it doesn't mean it's make it so and you not really he never thought that but you get the idea and so understand just You're not always what you think you are, but the emphasis that Paul is placing here is that what you think matters. It will inevitably determine your living, your actions, your conduct, your behavior, what we think matters, and it matters more than we think. Yes. One of the most profound questions, therefore, that you can ask anyone is really well, what's on your mind? Tell me, what's on your mind? What are you thinking? Because as one pastor and author writes, whatever is on your mind is synonymous with whatever is already on your heart. And whatever is already on your heart and mind is eventually going to show up all over your hands and your feet and your life. This is why Jesus... He tells us in Mark chapter 12, verse 30. In fact, He expands on this because it was already written in the Old Testament. He says, And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind, He says. You see, when you became a Christian, you didn't lose your mind. You didn't stop using your mind when you became a Christian. Listen, as Christ followers here today... Paul says we are to renew our minds and use it the way that God intended when he created you. And so Paul now here challenges us to think godly so that we might live godly. Here in Philippians 4, 8 and 9. Look at it again with me. Notice what Paul writes again. Paul's writing this, but it comes from God himself. He says, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. So I hope you see here in just these two verses there are actually two commands, not one. Two commands. The commands are rather simple. It's to think, or we'll use the word ponder these things, and then to practice these things. So this is not a call. It's not a command to just think. Paul is actually calling us to think about these things so that we might practice these things. And so the focus here is on both thinking and doing, but the order is very important. Paul says the first thing we need to do is think think for the sake of doing in other words godly living it begins with godly thinking and so the first thing Paul commands us number 1 is to ponder these things carefully now Paul here commands us to think at the end of verse 8 so what does that mean what's he referring to when he says think Well, the word, the Greek word that Paul uses here for think, it actually means to take into account carefully. It's translated in other Bible versions as dwell on or to meditate on. So to think about these things calls for a very careful thought on our behalf. It calls for intentional meditation. It calls for meaningful pondering. One commentator summarizes it this way. Walter Hansen says, Paul is calling for followers of Christ to be attentive, reflective, meditative thinkers. Developing a Christian mind and character requires a lifetime of discerning, disciplined thoughts. But, you know, let's just be honest with ourselves. Our minds can go in a million different directions, right? In fact, even right now, that is true of us. Some of you are thinking, right now, what am I going to eat? You're already planning your lunch for when you get out of here. What am I going to eat? This group over here, they're thinking about if they have everything packed yet and what they're forgetting that they haven't packed because they're getting ready to leave for student life camp. Some of you are thinking already tomorrow what you've got to do tomorrow or you're thinking today what you've got to do tomorrow. You're planning. Your list is already formulated in your mind in preparation for the week. And so our minds go in a thousand different directions. And so Paul is saying we have to be very careful then about what we are going to let it ponder. Paul calls us to think carefully. Henry Ford, I love what he once said long ago. He said, thinking is the hardest work in the world, which is probably why so few people engage in it. I just want to say, yeah, true but remember, what we think matters, and it matters more than we think. And so Paul not only emphasizes, listen to me, the necessity of thinking here. He calls us to do this. We need to think carefully. But he also now, within this first verse, eight verse 8, he also calls us and directs us to the content of our thoughts. In other words, what we are actually to think about. Paul sets forth this eightfold portrait of godly thinking here in verse 8 that it should apply to every part of our lives. D.A. D. Carson summarizes it this way in a series of contrast. He says, think about what is true, not false. Think about what's honorable, not dishonorable. Think about what's just, not unjust. Think about what's pure, not impure. Think about what's lovely, not repulsive. Think about what's commendable, not despicable. Think about what's morally excellent, not filthy. Think about what's admirable, not shameful. So let's break these things down a little bit. These virtues, this list of virtues that Paul has for us here in verse 8, that we are to think upon, we're to ponder. First of all, we're to think about whatever is true. He starts out with truth. It's the very first thing on the list. Truth is whatever conforms to objective reality. Truth is the revelation of God's will in his word. The things that are true stand in direct contrast to the things that are false. In fact, Jesus himself said, I am truth in John 14, 6. And Isaiah says that God is the God of truth. In Isaiah 65, 16. And of course, as the creator, God is the ultimate authority on what truth is, what reality is. And he has set forth that truth for us in his Bible, in the scriptures, the revealed word of God. In fact, when Jesus prayed in the garden, he prayed in John 17, 17. He's praying to the Father, sanctify them in the truth. Your word, God, your word is true. Speaking of God's Word, David says in Psalm 19.9, the decrees of the Lord are true. Psalm 119.151, he says, all your commandments are true. In God's truth, it must control our minds and consequently our behavior. Now, this is super, super important. Because we live in a culture today where people say there is no such thing as truth. There's no such thing as absolute truth. Now, that's nothing new to you. Truth is is either relative for most people or in, in today's age, for a lot of people, truth, well, it just can't be known. In fact, today, truth isn't even all that important because we live in a culture today where feelings trump truth today's generation no longer asks is it true but rather how does it make me feel because if it makes you feel good then well that's your truth man if it doesn't make you feel good well then that's not your truth and we are exposed to this kind of cultural thinking today and this is why we need a constant exposure to in an injection of god's truth so that we're able to discern what is true from what is false so think about paul says whatever is true and of course we live in a world where we have to discern that well how are you going to discern that what's going to be your standard the standard is god's truth as revealed in god's word that's what it should be at least for christ followers That is not the expectation for people who do not believe in Christ, who do not follow Christ. So don't expect that from them. Think about, number two, whatever is honorable. Now, honorable is a word that refers to that which is dignified, that which is noble, that which is worthy of respect and reverence. Honorable is the opposite of that which is flippant and superficial, that which is crude and vulgar. In fact, the same word is used in some of Paul's other letters to describe the conduct of men and women of dignity. Men and women of dignity are honorable. One commentator translated this word honorable as noble seriousness. So we might ask ourselves, do you ponder things that are honorable or noble, or do you just dwell on the frivolous and the trivial? Think about whatever is honorable. Paul, number three, says think about whatever is just. That word just, it refers to what's right or righteous. So think about whatever is just is to think about whatever is right. But, of course, we have to define right today, right? You have to define it. And right is always according to the standard that is set by God's holy character. That's what's right. So it's not think about whatever is right in my eyes. Listen, that's how our culture lives. Paul is calling us as Christ followers to something different. He's saying think about whatever is just. Think about whatever is right in God's eyes as revealed in God's word again. Whatever is just also speaks of things of justice. So this means that we do not think about ways to to beat the system. We don't think about ways to cheat others out of something or ways to cut corners to get ahead. In other words, we are not to be schemers in life. In fact, it's interesting, one of the six things that God hates, according to Proverbs 6.18, is a heart. And you have to understand, in the Bible, especially in the Old Testament, when it speaks of the heart, it's not talking about this heart that pumps your blood. It's, it's, it's like it's where our mind is, where things come out of, spring forth of. So it's, it's it, today's vernacular. We would we would refer to it as the mind. And so one of the things that God hates, six things, is a heart that devises wicked plans. Schemers. They're, it's the opposite of just or Justice. We're not to be that. Rather than devising wicked plans, we are to devise just plans. We are to ponder on that. We are to think about whatever is righteous or upright. So, number four, think about whatever is pure. And pure here speaks of holiness. Those things which are morally pure and not tainted by evil or moral corruption. And so surely, this has some pretty strong implications For those things that we choose to watch and read. Think about those things that are pure and holy. What we put before our eyes. What we intake into our minds. Whether it's movies or surfing the internet or social media. We we need to think about these things. David asked God in Psalm 119. How can a young man keep his way pure? And then he answers his own question. He says, by keeping... Your word, God, that's how. That's how we stay pure. Charles Spurgeon put it this way. God will not dwell in the parlor of our hearts when we choose to entertain the devil in the cellar of our thoughts. So think about whatever is pure. Number five, think about whatever is lovely. And, of course, I think about Darla. She's lovely. In all seriousness... Lovely refers to that which is agreeable, that which is pleasing. Lovely is that which produces love. In other words, don't think about those things that produce bitterness or resentment or even criticism. One commentator, F.F. F. Bruce, says it this way Things that are lovely give pleasure to all and cause distaste to none, like a welcome fragrance. That's a great illustration. Welcome fragrance, something that makes you stop. And you're like, and you take in that smell, and it's refreshing to you. It's a refreshing fragrance. Of course, a contrast would be an offensive odor, like walking by an open sewer and smelling raw sewage. And so we are to think about things that are lovely, things that are pleasing, not things that are disgusting or repulsive. And then number six, Paul says, think about whatever is commendable. Commendable. Now, commendable is whatever is admirable or or praiseworthy, whatever is worth repeating to others. And so don't dwell on anything that isn't worth repeating to someone else. And then finally, Paul reaches this crescendo after listing these six things with these final two all-encompassing catch-all terms where he says think about whatever is excellent think about anything worthy of praise and we can understand these two conditional phrases this way it's like he is saying this if there is anything excellent, if there is anything worthy of praise and since that there is since that is true when you look around our world then think on these things give your mind and attention to these things and if we turn this verse around for for more effect or clarity, Paul is also saying it this way. Finally, brethren, whatever is not true, whatever is dishonorable, whatever is unjust, whatever is impure, whatever is unlovely, whatever is not worth repeating, if there is anything not morally excellent, if there is anything unworthy of praise, then do not think on these things. Now, it's important to note here at the same time that these six things... Are virtues that the culture held high in paul 's day? in fact, this was moral language that the surrounding culture in Paul's day would clearly understand. In fact, many of these virtues are found in Greek literature in. Since most of these words are rather rare in Paul's letters and even elsewhere in the New Testament, it's almost as if Paul has taken a current list from culture and he's made it his own for us here as Christ followers. And so Paul's challenge is to think about these virtues and it indicates his desire for us as believers to appreciate all that is praiseworthy in the surrounding world. In the world that God created. In the world in which God has placed us. And since God is the creator of all good things, we shouldn't be too surprised to find praiseworthy things in our world, even in spite of the fact that we live in a fallen world. This is what some theologians call the blessing of God's common grace in our world. And so Paul is saying, look around you. And think on these things that are praiseworthy, that are excellent. And yes, at the same time, as Christ followers here this morning, we still must sift all these things through the grid of Scripture. Paul is commanding us to ponder things that the God of Scripture finds worthy of our thoughts. As Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 10, verse 5, we must seek to take captive every thought, to make it obedient to Christ. And so this involves not just the discipline of pondering godly things, but it also includes the discipline of not pondering ungodly things. And so Paul calls us to godly thinking here as Christ followers. But now we come to verse 9, where Paul calls us to godly living. And so we move from ponder these things carefully to, number two, practice these things faithfully. Notice again what Paul writes in verse 9. He says, what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, do what? Practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. And so our thoughts, if you follow Paul's logic here in his thinking as he writes this, He's basically saying our thoughts should lead to action. The two main verbs in these two verses are to think and to practice. This means we cannot separate our inward thoughts from our outward actions. What we ponder, we eventually practice, in other words. I've said it once. I've said it twice. I've said it three times. I'll say it again. What we think matters it matters more than we think and so paul calls us to ponder these things that are praiseworthy according to god and now he calls us to practice these things Don't miss the connection between verse 8 and verse 9. Paul gives this list of things to ponder. Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable. And then he says, dwell on these things. Ponder these things. Meditate on these things. Things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. In other words, Paul is saying, the very things I'm telling you to ponder are actually the things you have learned and received from me. Things you have heard and seen in me. And now, in addition to pondering those things, I want you to practice those things. That's what Paul is saying to us. And what this shows us is that godly thinking, it is the root of godly living. This is why Paul puts these exhortations in the order that he does first we are to think godly and then we are to live godly and so godly behavior listen it doesn't just spring up out of nowhere godly living is cultivated in the soil of godly thinking you see truth is first perceived in the mind and as it is perceived in the mind that truth shapes your affections and you're Affections inspire your will, and your will directs your directions. It directs your actions, your behavior, your conduct. And so godly living, it is the fruit of godly thinking. Listen to what Martin Lloyd Jones writes. You may not know that name. He was a, a pastor in the '50s, '60s and '70s, even into the '80s, in England. And uh, he says this, and I quote You see the perfection of the apostle's method? In verse 8, he has dealt with the realm of thought. Ah, but the apostle knows the subtle danger that is always confronting us the danger of being content with theoretical knowledge. The danger of being satisfied with doctrine only. The danger of failing to put into practice that which we know. It is the masterpiece of Satan to make us put theory and practice into separate watertight compartments. To make people so interested in the Bible that they forget to apply his teaching. And so what you have seen, Paul says, practice. That sounds rather familiar to what we find elsewhere in the Bible, does it not? James himself said something the same thing. You go to James chapter 1, 22-25, listen to what he says. Be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Because if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like someone looking at his own face in a mirror. for he looks at himself, he goes away and immediately he forgets what kind of person he was. But the one who looks intently into the perfect law of freedom, that is God's word, and perseveres in it, and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer who works, this person will be blessed in what he does. So how do we do this? How do we practice these things faithfully? Well, notice the four key words in verse 9. You probably could pick them out already. It's learn, It's received, it's heard, and it's seen. The first two words refer to Paul's teaching, and the last two words point to Paul's example in life. These are the things we are to practice. So these things, first of all, apply godly instruction. That's what we practice. We apply godly instruction. You see, what the Philippian believers learned and received from Paul was godly instruction in God's word, beginning, first of all, with the gospel of Jesus Christ. But Paul's instruction wasn't merely the truth of the gospel. He also instructed them in Christian living with the truth of God's word. In fact, in 1 Thessalonians 2.13, Paul speaks of the Thessalonians receiving The word of God, not as if it were the word of men, but as it really was the word of God. And then later on in chapter four, he says, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us how you ought to walk, that's godly living, and to please God, godly living, just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. So how are you going to bring forth the fruit of godly living in your life? Paul says right here, listen, you first of all, you apply the godly instruction that you have learned and that you have received in God's word. That's how. You apply it. You don't just hear it, you apply it. Listen, this is one reason why we are committed to relaunching our discovery hour. We need. In a vacuum of truth in our culture today, we desperately need godly instruction that comes from the teaching of God's Word. This is why we even launched our LifeBridge Institute last spring. And so hopefully, Lord willing, we will be relaunching our Discovery Hour in September here. And so mark your calendars. September 19th, 9.30 a.m. with classes for all ages from... Nursery all the way up to senior adult. Why? Because we're committed to the instruction of God's word. We need God's truth in our life. We need to receive this and we need to learn it so that we can apply it. And then it's not just apply godly instruction. Second of all, Paul says, imitate godly examples. Imitate godly examples. What the Philippian believers had heard and seen in Paul was the fruit of God's grace at work in Paul's life. Listen, they had seen Paul suffer in the past. They saw it with their own eyes. When he planted that church there in Philippi, the city of Philippi, there was persecution going on. Paul was dragged away. He was beaten. They saw this. And now they are hearing from a distance, because he's now in a Roman prison, that he is still suffering. They saw and now they heard that Paul not only talked the talk, but he walked the walk. In other words, they saw and they heard that Paul lived with integrity. Because the very things that he preached were the very things that he practiced. Paul had shown these believers how faith in Jesus Christ works out in practice, especially in the tough times of life in the midst of trials of life in circumstances that we would not want to go through on our own not want to go through and choose for ourselves so how then are you going to cultivate the fruit of godly living you imitate godly examples this is something paul says over and over again in his letters imitate me as i imitate jesus christ follow me as i follow christ he repeats it everywhere And so imitate what you hear and also what you see in the lives of godly people. And that can't happen from just watching the live stream of a worship service. That can't even happen just listening to some podcast of another speaker or preacher, as good as they are. In order... To imitate godly examples, you have to be around godly people. And not perfect people, godly people. There's a world of difference. Because godly people are imperfect people. Who simply live by the grace of God, are redeemed by the grace of God, and when they sin, they are forgiven by the grace of God. They recognize that. And that's why they're, quote, godly. You have to engage in relationships with other believers who are sound in the faith. And in some cases, who are actually a little further ahead than you in the faith. More mature than you in the faith. You have to be in community with other believers to receive encouragement in the faith and to navigate life's various trials alongside one another. You can't do that in isolation. You weren't designed that way. This is why our church is committed to to small groups, what we call grow groups. Is why we will relaunch them, restart them up here in September. Sign ups in August. And of course, as pastor, I would love for every one of you to be part of a grow group. I can think about it, consider some of our grow groups meet once a month, twice a month, some every You know, every Sunday night, and that's where they meet. It's on Sunday evenings in people's homes. Consider it. We'd love for you to be part of that. We also, here at our church, we have one-on-one discipleship. Some of you have been through that. I see Zach Hill back there. Zach went through our one-on-one discipleship. In fact, I had the privilege of discipling him. If you have questions about that, go talk to him. Ask him, how was that for you? Wow, you were discipled by the pastor. What was that like? So, Zach, don't tell him everything. (laughs) No, you do. You feel free to tell them everything. And this one-on-one, it's, it's a higher-level commitment. We would love everyone to go through it, but it's not for everyone because it takes a higher-level commitment. It's more time. And so we, we get that. We understand it. But some of you may be at a place in your life where you're ready for that. And if that's you, see me, see Pastor Chris. Let us know. We'll try to pair you up with somebody. We'll seek to do that. Pray about that. But at a minimum, Man, we want everyone to be part of our worship service. We want everyone to be part of our discovery hour. We want everybody to be part of our grow groups. And again, I understand that's not going to be 100%. I get that. That's the reality of the world we live in. But strive for it. Consider it. When we read verse 8, here in verse 9, we see that Paul is not just saying, think good thoughts. Rather, Paul is calling us to ponder these things so that we might do what? Practice these things. And if you do that, if you do that, if you will give yourself to godly thinking and godly living, Paul has a promise for you at the end of verse 9, where he says, and the God of peace will be with you. Now, do you remember last week how Paul ended verses 6 and 7? He ended that section, two verses prior to this, with another promise. That if we don't worry about anything, and if we will pray about everything, then Paul's promise is that the peace of God will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And now here, two verses later, in verses 8 and 9, Paul again, he concludes with a promise except notice the difference in wording. Instead of the peace of God guarding your hearts and minds, it is the God of peace will be with you. Whoa, that's a glorious promise. What more could we possibly hope for? Listen, here's the promise. Ponder these things and practice these things And the promise is this, we will enjoy the presence of God and the peace that God brings. That is the promise we have. And yes, the God of peace is with us now through the indwelling Holy Spirit. Amen, right? We are thankful for that. So here's the question. Why would Paul promise something that is always true as if it is something special? I mean, think about it. We already have the presence of God Dwelling within us, the Holy Spirit, right? So now Paul is promising the presence of God. Why would he promise something that is always true as if it is something special? Because it is special. It's off the charts special. It's incredibly special that God's presence is always with us and that his presence brings peace to our lives. But again, let's be honest. We don't always sense God's presence in our lives, do we? And a lot of us here, we don't feel God's peace, do we? Some of you woke up this morning, or rather you even went to bed last night, and your heart was so much in turmoil, there was no peace in your heart. And you claim to be a Christ follower And so there are many Christians here today who do not sense the presence of God living within them, and they do not feel, they do not experience the peace of God in this world in which we live. Why is that? Well, again, remember the promise. It is only as we ponder these things and practice these things, that we will enjoy God's presence and that we will know the peace that God brings to our souls. So could it be? I just throw it out there to you to ponder. Could it be that the reason that some of you here do not sense God's presence in your life, could it be the reason that some of you do not know, you do not feel the peace of God at work in your heart, it's because you are grieving the very spirit of God that dwells within you. By what you ponder and practice in life. Listen, when the content of our thoughts is ungodly and the conduct of our lives is not pleasing to the Lord, God's spirit is grieved and God's peace is stifled. And when that is the practice of our lives. When that is the pattern of our lives, even as Christ followers, then we should not be surprised that we don't sense God's presence at work in our lives. We don't experience, we don't feel God's peace, even in a chaotic world. And to expect otherwise is just ludicrous. But, but, but when we give ourselves to godly thinking and we strive in godly living then we have this glorious wonderful incredible promise that we will enjoy god's presence in the peace that he brings wow it's beautiful how this works so how should one start then in pondering and practicing these things well let me leave you with three practical tips or pre- practical ways to start number one evaluate the content you take in you got to think you just got to think you got to evaluate and i know it's hard work but the reality is listen you listen to things you watch things you focus on things you meditate on things a number of things a thousand things a day evaluate those things in light of God's word, and be willing to say no to those things if they don't line up with what is praiseworthy according to God's word. See, the reason some of you don't experience any peace because you're not willing to say no to some of these things over here. You would rather hang on to these things let's be honest most of those things are of the world and what you're doing is you are forfeiting the very peace of god at the same time so make your choice evaluate and then number two punctuate your day with scripture punctuate your day with scripture listen either begin the day or end the day with god's truth or do both the only way to counter the thinking of our culture is to renew our minds with God's Word. And so may I throw out to you something that is a blessing to me, and that is the YouVersion Bible app. How many you know what I'm talking about? I highly recommend it to you. Download the YouVersion Bible app onto your device, phone, whatever it may be, and start reading God's Word through that app. There are a hundred different reading plans that you can pick from. I converted over to that about four years ago from a hard copy of the Bible. And if you're still reading a hard copy of God's word, amen, hallelujah, go get it. Get into the word and let the word get into you. Whether it's a hard copy or whether it's a digital version, it makes no difference. But the YouVersion Bible app is a great tool to get into the word, to punctuate your day. Whether it's at the beginning, the middle, or the end, or any of those in between. And then number three, imitate godly role models. Oh, let me also say, we also have scripture journals at the back at the info table. Scripture journals are a great way to get into the Word of God. And they're on sale back there. I leave you to go check it out. And imitate number three, godly role models. Find two or three godly believers who are a little further along in the faith in you that you can learn from, especially when it comes to applying God's truth in areas like marriage and family, raising kids, finances, all these things in life that, to be honest with you, consume us and we worry about. Paul says, instead of worry, pray about it, but also imitate godly role models. Ask questions. How do you work your way through this? What was it like raising a teenager? Don't ask him what it was like. Just ask him, how did you get through it? <laughs> through the grace of God. You understand what I'm saying. Let's pray. Lord, help us to give ourselves. God, give us the grace to give our, that we might give ourselves to godly thinking and godly living. And when we do this, we have your promise that you will be with us, that we will enjoy your presence and the peace that you bring. And so, fathers, help us even now to ponder these things and then to practice these things. It may be for the glory and praise of your Son and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. We're going to end the service this morning a little different than normal, and that's because we are leaving our Alive Student Ministry bright and early. What time tomorrow? 5 five p.m. We're leaving. I mean, 5 a.m. 5 a.m. Be at the church here. 5 a.m. Zach just freaked out on me. All right? So you be at the church at 5 o'clock in the morning tomorrow because we are leaving for Estes Park, Colorado And uh, in a little tidbit, if you haven't seen the, you know, if you have a weather app and you've seen the weather for Estes Park, it's going to be cool. In fact, it's going to be downright cold at night, so bring a jacket, bring some long sleeves, and uh, and so we want to end our service by praying over our students and adult leaders that are going to camp tomorrow. We have 18 of us that are leaving on two vans bright and early tomorrow morning. Not all of them are here this morning, but those that are, I want to ask you to just stand right here in front of the auditor right here in front of the platform, and uh, so come and st- stand, Darla, that's you, and, uh, and so myself and my wife are going, along with Zach and Sarah Warner, along with these wonderful uh, teenagers, teens, and uh, none of the guys are here that are going, I don't know what's up with that, so Ethan, come on up, you're the only guy that's here today, come on up, Ethan, come on, he's sliding down in the seat. Come on up. And then Bill and Cindy Bowman are going to pray for us. And then once they are done praying, we will be dismissed.
2: All right, let's pray. Father, we praise you and thank you for the opportunity to minister to these young people. And, Father, we know that um, youth camp is a, is a great uh, avenue and a great tool that you use to uh, uh, to take a, a young kid away from their comfort zone and put them into a a space where your word is, is spoken frequently and your spirit is, is uh, ministering in their hearts and I pray God that they would have open and receptive hearts to the uh, spoken word and I pray that this, your spirit would speak to them and and convict them, and encourage them, and help them to, uh, if they don't know you, to know you as their savior, and if they do, to help them to put uh, plans in place to be more effective in their walk with you, and God, I pray for safety uh, out and back, and I pray that uh, as they spend time together, that they would uh, grow as a group, uh, and would encourage one another, and I pray for Zach and Sarah and uh, Bruce and Darla, as they are around these young people, that they would be uh, an encouragement to them, and that you would use them mightily to uh, lead lead these young people um, uh, during this week. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen.
3: Father, today we have met with you. We've listened to your word. We have together, as a group, we have worshipped you. We have lifted praises to you, and, and we pray, Father, that they have been a sweet-smelling aroma to you. Now, Father, we bring before you these students and their leaders and as they head out for camp this upcoming week. We pray, Father, that even now, their hearts are being prepared. Um, maybe you will show them something in their life that needs to be addressed even now in their young life. We pray, Father, that you might even reveal to them. A life-changing truth that will help them to grow in their relationship with you. May they grow to come closer to you and become more intimate with you. We pray, Father, and know that this upcoming week is often filled with much activity. And so we pray, Father, that you would help them to guard against um, fatigue. That we pray, Father, that their words... um, towards each other would be uplifting, that they would be flavored with encouragement. And we pray, Father, that you would help them to um, interact with each other in a Christ-like manner, not only amongst themselves, but with all the campers in Colorado this this upcoming week. Um, We don't need to tell you how precious they are to us, because no one can love them as much as you do. So we pray, Father, for guarding, to guard them. We pray, Father, that you would keep them safe in their journey. And we ask all these things in the precious name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. All right,
1: these teams are going to stay up here.